There's a ranch out in the mountains of Pio, Utah, where a man lives with his wife and 80 rescue dogs. These aren't just any canines, as some are wolf hybrids, and the man gives them a home and a beautiful life to live. Like a spirit in the trees, running like the breeze, the legend of El Lobo sings with the rustle of the leaves. Through the whispers in the wind, if you're lucky you'll catch a glimpse, the legend of El looks out for his dogs as if they were his own children he nurtures them he loves them and he selflessly gives some of his dogs he turned into sled dog champions world-renowned respected and admired by everyone like a spirit in the trees Running like the breeze The legend of El Lobo sings With the rustle of the leaves Through whispers in the wind If you're lucky you'll catch a glimpse The legend of El Lobo forever lives The legend of Uh, welcome to Your Creativity, the podcast that keeps on... Going. Yeah, we're still here. My mom keeps listening. Good. Well, actually, no, maybe we should actually set her up so she really should listen. I'm, you know, she might be surprised to listen to us someday. Well, episode 152 episodes ago, we're time travelers now, oh, Yeah, is me. So that's a big interest piece for So, so for that would everybody. be a good so, one. Yeah, that'll be a good one. Maybe I'll wait until you're done, and then we should get your mom and everybody in it. Oh, no, no. No. You have my my wife's going to help with that. So that I think that's enough pressure and enough roasting. Well, today (laughs) we're we're up at the chocolate shop again, and um, you're going to hear the nice buzz of the the chocolate cabinets, the ice crashing down in the ice maker, and it smells like chocolate. You're painting a beautiful picture, Steve. I love it. I'm painting a beautiful picture? Yes. Okay. Well, it smells like chocolate. That was pretty good. Yes. But I'm excited for, like, our our guest. So our guest is Fernando Ramirez. Steve, we've gone to the dogs. No, that that was a joke. Okay, Dylan didn't write down that joke because he should have practiced that one. Yeah. But we do go to the dogs today. Why why are we going to the dogs? Well, Fernando owns a business called Rancho Luna Lobos. I think keep on thinking Loco Lobos for some reason. Wait, that's like Ranch of the Crazy Moon or something. That'd be a better Ranch of the Crazy Wolves. That'd be a better name. Right. But it's it's Luna Moon Wolves. Moon Wolves, correct. So yeah, that that's kind of the elephant in the room. Where did the 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 name come from? 
Um, so when I was a kid, when I first started running dogs, I had this little wolf hybrid. And um, my, you know, under a full moon in the winter, I would sneak out at night and, and, and run my dogs on the trails. So that just, you know, that story always um, kind of hit a soft spot with my wife. And so she's like, you know, we, sh- we should name it after something like that, your experience as a kid. And, and so that's why we called it, you know, Ranch Wait, of the Wait, do Moon you Wolf. still sneak out of the house at like 11 at night <sighs> and your wife was like, where the hell did he go? And then that's where it came from? It's more like the dogs are barking. My wife kicks me out of bed and says, go check on what's going on. So It's your turn. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It happens to be my turn every night, but yeah, it works. But wait, you're based in Pioa. We are. We're based in Pioa. Yeah, just like 10 minutes outside of Park City. That is Bigfoot country. And so like, and so I mean, so maybe the dogs, or the dogs are on to him. Maybe. My boys are pretty avid Bigfoot hunters. So I'll have to, I didn't know that. I'll have to tell them that. Yeah, it's like total Bigfoot country up there. Is it really? Which is probably why the dogs are barking. Maybe. They're oh. trying to get your attention. Yeah, probably. Is Holiday Bigfoot country? Because my dog's been barking outside a lot lately. I mean, I mean, Technically, Bigfoot's probably pretty fast, so I bet he could probably run that in a night. And we've got Rip, Mitt Romney up that way, so could be that too. Oh my gosh, that's so funny! Wait, how old were you when you had your first dog? Um, first sled dog, I was about nine years old. It was a yellow lab named Yellow, and uh, I, I started. I saw a movie called Balto, and after that movie, I had this little plastic table I turned upside down. It was like a little toy table put some skis on the bottom of it and that was like my first makeshift sled and so he'd pull me around and that's kind of where the journey started with yellow where so where was that in park city yeah i grew up in park city my parents still live in in the property they live they did live then and so same house and yeah so it's you know we just took down our um my childhood kennels which was kind of bittersweet but my parents needed the room for other things so it was kind of sad to see that go the airband being your your old bedroom out <laughs> actually yeah like half the house they've turned into an apartment for an airbnb oh my god <laughs> yeah. you called that one Steve. <laughs> yeah. well i mean it's park city i would do that but yeah. i would probably would have like booted them out at nine and have been like you know you could sleep outside tonight <laughs> yeah. we have Raul here or we have like whoever's gonna show up is gonna come and be the the guest tonight yeah <laughs> You're not laughing. Fernando didn't like that idea at nine, but I'm just throwing it out there. You yeah. can still probably do that. I could, yeah. It might, might work. <laughs> but you're not nine anymore. So from that sled to starting your business, what was what did you grow up? Did you start do racing as a kid and teenager? Yeah, so I grew up racing. My parents, you know, bless them. They'd take me all over um, to Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, to enter some of those those more well-known weekend races and that's you know I was a deathly shy kid I was so shy I wouldn't go up to anyone and ask about anything but my father was pretty adamant about me going up and asking some of the well-known and uh, professional mushers about like their secrets or training regimens and and then you know over the year excuse me over the years I've acquired you know sense of knowledge from all of them and kind of put my own flair into it and so that's kind of what you know we're running with now that's awesome yeah. who was your idol growing up growing up yeah Gosh, oh, so many people you know i i always uh I, I was more of like you know tarzan was my hero right he wanted to get up there but there's a you know in the dog mushing world there's a gentleman named martin boozer 
he was just such a he's such a sweet like humble man and when he his approach to his dogs he's very kind and you can just see that kindness resonate through his um his interviews and the way he interacts with his dogs and that's just something i've always wanted to adopt and and make sure that you know when i was interacting with my dogs it was just purely kindness and genuine and um that loving that loving atmosphere for them and that's what i admire about him yeah how okay (laughs) thinking of dogs and being obviously there's a zillion ways to train does a dog naturally pick it up or do you have to train them how to race that's a that's actually a great question um the one thing i can't teach these guys is that drive and passion to want to run so if if the dog loves to run and they're high maintenance high strong in that sense high maintenance is what i mean um it's just mainly channeling their energy so dane and i currently care for 78 dogs Holy crap. Yeah, it's a lot. And I would say Actually, about, and that is a lot of crap. Too. It is a lot of crap. Yeah. I, we're about, uh, you know, 50 to 100 pounds a day. Of, of <laughs> how, so how much food is that? Yeah, it's a three 3,000 pounds of kibble, just kibble, about five, every five weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not including their, you know, raw meat diet and everything, all the other supplements that go into it. The little personal massages at night for each they, dog. They actually do get personal massages. They have a canine chiropractor that come and align them just so they're good and, and healthy. Well, I would be barking at 11 in the morning if I was, like, wanting something like that. Yeah. I'd be like, hello, anyone? But I'd also be the dog that was, like, a lazy ass. And so I would be the dog that would just be like, I'll just sit in the sled. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have some of those. We really do. Yeah. Like, yeah, 80, 85% of our pack are made up of rescue dogs. So dogs, you know, and that it's becoming kind of a trend um, lately with some of the shows that have come out, you know, like Game of Thrones and name one. Um, people want these Nordic looking breeds and they want to take them in, but don't really understand the maintenance that go behind it. And more often than not, you find them either in shelters or uh, they're surrendered like over to um, organizations like uh, like us, you know, where, you know, hey, Fernando Dana, we can't take care of these dogs anymore. Can you help us? And and so that's where we, 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 we take them in. We really try to learn every dog's personality. So we don't really consider ourselves like, quote, quote, dog whisperers, right? And Dana and I, we joke around. We say we're more like dog listeners. We'll, we'll sit there. We'll listen to what they have to say because every dog does have a story, and they have a background, and they have a voice. And you have to be very, very, uh, how should we say, we have to take the time to really listen to what they're telling you on what they want. And like, and like training them to run sleds, that's something that they choose to do, but I'm, I'm more of their coach, like, all right, now I can coach you to be the sled dog you want to be, but I can't coach a dog to like, let's go, pull, you know, it's, it's a different thing. So if we do get a dog that doesn't like to pull, we take our time, we train him, and then we find a really good family to rehome him to. <laughs> okay, so how much shedding? A lot of shedding. Yeah. You would think it's over after like three months of brushing and then it keeps going on. Yeah. So like on a typical day, what would your, what would your, when would it begin and what would the process be of taking care of the dogs? Oh, man, our day starts at 6 a.m. And, you know, that starts with morning rotation, taking care of the sled dogs. Um, they get about four to six hours of play time a day and that's not including their running time, you know, when they're on the sled. Um, in the summer, we swim them about two to three we- uh, times a week. 
So that takes quite a bit of time. And then maintenance, kennel maintenance, there's always kennel maintenance because they're so destructive. And that's just one part of our ranch. And then the other part of our ranch, we have what we call a doggy pueblo. So it's like a little area um, that's enclosed, completely enclosed. And there's two um, 300 square foot cottages that are built just like homes. You know, they, they have like hardwood floors, dog beds, even have Netflix and Amazon Prime, air conditioning. They're 80, 80 inch like large screen TV. They could watch the Animal Channel. Yeah, they only have the 40 inch. But yeah, I mean, they, they like it. They like it. So when you get sent to the doghouse, you're okay. I know. That's what I tell everyone. Yeah. I have a nice doghouse to go to. Yeah. <laughs> What percentage of those dogs that you have uh, are, are the racers and what are for other purposes? Yeah, so let's see. I have 20 dogs that are specifically training for racing. And um, I have about six to seven retired dogs that are just, you know, hanging around, just enjoying the ranch life. And then the rest of them are, you know, they're running tours or, or they're helping with junior mushers or, you know, it's, it's very... Um, they're more in, involved in, in kind of like the core of what our ranch is, and that's bringing other dogs that are, so it's like kind of like a pack, a pack um, mentality. So they bring and welcome in the other dogs, and they show them how we do things at the ranch. So they, they welcome into the pack, and, and they're used, they, they help with training, if that makes sense. And so um, whenever we do bring a new dog and, and we're integrating them into the sled dog world, you know, our current pack will help them kind of mesh in and, and they're very, very sweet and they help that transition become like an easy process for them. That's cool. 74 dogs? Yeah, about 70, 74, 75. Do you know all their names? I do, yeah, I do. We just, unfortunately, and we lost. go. I know, right, <laughs> yeah. We just lost a couple due to old age, which is kind of a bummer. Um, that's always a hard part when that time comes when we do lose the dogs because they become a part of our family and and there have been especially when the pandemic hit we lost three dogs that were very very special to us and um it was one of those uh point that was a point in my life where i was really questioning like why am i doing this you know it's just so much sometimes there's so much heartache when you when you lose a dog it's it's hard to look past that and, and want to continue but then you look at the faces of the other dogs at the ranch and you know that they still need us they still need our attention and time and effort so, so during you know shutdown and everything what what did you guys do i always like to hear stories about how people pivoted during that time or took advantage of kind of the slower time that was a, an interesting time um dane and i my wife and i had just returned from world championships in canada and we just <laughs> just got through the border literally Got when home. they shut everything down. Yeah, like the next day they shut it down, which was, we were lucky. And we thought about staying another day and training with a friend. Um, and we thought, no, we need to get back down there because our crew was holding on the entire ranch and still uh, running our tours. And so we decided to go down. And the next day we, we ran tours. And then that's when we heard the news that everything was going to be shut down. And, you know, it wasn't too much of a problem. Dana and I are out there working and we did work like we do every other spring. We got out into the mountains. We were training our um, younger dogs or newer rescue dogs. So it seemed like everything was the same. But we could definitely feel the effects and the impact, uh, you know, that because we lost about, um, about a month and a half of tours 
and everything we make with the dogs goes right back into our kennel because their feed, I mean, is, I mean, I spend about yeah. 40, 40 grand a year on their feed. And that's, yeah, it's expensive. So, because th- they need the top of the best of the best food. They, each dog eats about 10,000 calories a day in the winter. Is that's it? Steve here with the <laughs> sugar cookies, right? I mean, <laughs> close. <laughs> Close Close. to the 40 grand of a year (laughs) on the sugar cookies. (laughs) Dylan. I spend a lot of time alone, so I'm I'm in the jokey mood today. I want to touch on something, though. So, I mean, there was that, the TV show Afterlife or something with Ricky Gervais, however you say his name, but um, he, his wife dies. The thing that motivates him, he doesn't want to get out of bed. Uh It was his dog was wanting food oh, yeah. and you kind of said mentioned that but i want to talk about okay how have the dogs helped you through the pandemic and have they helped you through like you know just the different emotions going on and how that's a great question and that's something i've been thinking about this last few years uh the dogs have definitely got us through the pandemic in terms of i, I just focused on them and and they needed my help they needed my my attention and so it was nice because our children were doing home from school. They'd get their work done really fast. And then we'd spend the rest of the day with the dogs and going to the mountains and training. So it, it forced us to spend time as a true family with, with our fur kids and with our uh, man cubs. And we were really out there and, and, and really bonding. And so that it, it helped us to really draw closer as a family, if that makes sense. Because with, with how busy life is, and we get people from all over the world that visit us, so we feel like we share so much of our life, so much of our time with people that come from all over the world. And, and, but being able to kind of step away from that and, and just dive into our family more and do our dogs more and connect with them more on a different level, was it meant the world to me. It was good for my heart. It really was. And it also kind of opened my eyes more about the touring industry as a whole. And that's something that Dana and I have been very how should we say it? like persistent in not letting that topic go and keeping it on, keeping it on the forefront of our minds because we, the touring and dog sled as a whole is kind of in a gray light, to be honest, either some people really like it or some people are totally against it. And that's, that's where we, with our ranch and what we do in our mission, we try to shine the positive light that dog sledding, that, that unique, um, the unique art form that dog sledding is, we're trying to share that with the world and how it, it is something like with these dogs, it's, it's a th- form of therapy and it's a form of therapy for me too. And yes, you know, we're spending 16 hours a day, 12 to 16 hours a day with them, but it's so life-giving and it's easy to sit back for me and think like, my gosh, like if I really break it down, I'm, I'm just a professional pooper scooper is what I am, you know, but, but in the end, you know, you're, you're speaking into these lives, you're giving these dogs hope and in return, they're giving you a fulfilled life that, you know, money can't buy in that sense, if that, if that makes sense, you know, and, and I always joke around with some guests, they say, oh, you must love this. And I say, I, I really do. It's a lot of fun. It's not easy. And it's not like a, it won't ever get, you know, make me wealthy. I won't ever drive a Mercedes, but I, 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 I love it, you know? And they told me there's, like, there's more things that are more important to life than driving a Mercedes. Like, trust me, you know? And, and that makes me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not better, but 
like I like I'm doing something right, you know. And they're probably looking at you jealous of the <laughs> life you have and the closeness with the dogs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get a lot of people that want to come and just hang out, and and then they end up like volunteering for whenever they're available. So that it's nice to be able to bring them in and and kind of pull them away from the stresses of life and technology and all the things that kind of crowd our mind every day and and just kind of plug back into nature. You mentioned volunteering. What what type of uh, things do the volunteers do? My son's really into like animals and you know, caring for them and that type of stuff? That's a great question. A lot of our volunteers will come and, and they just want to see how the dogs uh, live day to day. They want to see how they work every day. And so they'll come and just shadow us throughout the day and see and, and, and join us during training runs or even like for free hiking, they'll come during our free hikes or even if it's just feeding the dogs, you know, being able to get in there and feed them and, and draw close to them and just pet them, you know, and, and it's, it's quite a sight when some of our guests come or volunteers and they go into our dog yard, either one or one of two of them, and they're sitting down, they're sitting down and just surrounded by, you know, anywhere between 10 to 30 dogs at once, you know, just sunbathing really and just loving on the dogs. It's quite a sight, you know, like where, where else can you do that in terms of just feeling like at, at complete peace with a bunch of furry animals? I would be a chew toy for, for those <laughs> dogs. I... We growing up, we had a Rottweiler German Shepherd mix, and um, it was he was huge, rusty, and I just remember like he loved to play. So I would carry a baseball bat because like he would like totally like he he would want to play with me, but he was way bigger than me, and I would use this bat, and then he would just use it as like a stick, and it was like nothing. (laughs) And then Rusty also would get pissed when we'd leave him in the backyard and go inside. He would like get huge logs and drop them in the window well, just trying to like get us to come out and play with him. Yeah. But yeah, so I was Rusty's chew toy also. That's awesome. So I'm, a f- yeah, I'm sure I would definitely be a chew toy. <laughs> no. Um, what's an average weight of a dog? Yeah. Average of weight. yours. So my dogs are are more of Alaskan huskies. So you have like the Alaskan Malamutes, or the big guys, the Siberian huskies. They're like your medium sized dogs, and then our Alaskan husky is somewhere between your medium to medium small. So we have Alaskan Malamutes that weigh about 100 pounds, maybe 120. And then down to like our Greyhound Husky mixes, they're Alaskan Huskies, they're maybe about 55 pounds, 45 pounds. Yeah, so it's a good good variety. And we have like two random St. Bernards <laughs> that are just like our ranch dogs. Yeah, they they, they wear the, the whiskey barrel and the whole, the whole no thing. No way. Dig, dig them out and everything. Yeah, kind of. I mean, if I was buried in avalanche, they would. I don't think. I don't think they'd come save me. But <laughs> they'd be like, "Yeah, I mean, we're just going back to the the house." Yeah, exactly. He's on his own. Yeah, one of them, Rolo. He loves to watch Netflix, and one of his favorite shows was was Glee. And so whenever the actors, <laughs> yeah, whenever the actors would sing, he would howl or bark to it, and. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the Huskies were like, oh, what are you howling? So then they started getting in on it. So now when they watch Glee. They, they all, all watch Glee? Howling. Yeah, they watch Glee, which is funny. And, and, and get this. Here's a little short story. We, had a, we, we donate a ride to the Steve Irwin Gala for the, animal, the crocodile hunter, right? And we're down. And they, you know, we went down. It's a very fancy place. We felt so out of our, so out of our, like, what we're normal or what we're used to. And we're sitting at a table and talking to this really awesome couple. And uh, they were asking about the dogs and stuff like that. And, 
And we're like, <laughs> I was asking what, what, you know, what they did. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm on Glee. You're like, oh, my gosh. My dog loves you. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I wouldn't write. I'm so sorry. I'll write. I don't have time for TV, but my dogs would know you. Yeah. So he sent me uh, a link of a couple of his YouTube videos when he was singing. And uh, we got a film of, of him singing and the dogs howling to his song. And yeah, it was oh awesome. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> yeah, hilarious. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember which one it was? It was uh, his name was Dean Geyer. Dean Geyer, he's okay. uh, yeah, toward the end of the episode, and we actually keep in touch with him through um, social media. He's he's a really he's a really good guy. He's awesome. He wants to stay friends with the dogs. Exactly. Yeah, it's not really me. It's the dogs. Dude, <laughs> yeah. yeah, screw you, yeah. He, Rolo. He's friends with Rolo. <laughs> Rolo, the same Bernard. It's a little off subject, but when you um, talked about the the dogs, you know, surrounding person when they come into the thing. Um, I recently went to Italy, and in the middle of Rome, there's a cat sanctuary. Oh, wow. It's, like, under the street, but, you know, in the middle of this lot of ruins. And we went into the, you know, office area, and they've just got cages everywhere. And there's just, I think they said there's, like, 70 cats between outside and inside. Oh, okay. So it, it was something very similar to that, where we stepped in there, and they were just, like... Wow. Yeah. And we had no idea till like near the end of our trip. Like we would have been devastated if we heard about it after we left. Yeah. But it was just really amazing. That is amazing. Wow. It's a lot of cats. Yeah. yeah. How many cats do you have? Uh, we have like three mountain lions at Rome. <laughs> Wait, serious? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Okay. How do they mix with the dogs? Uh, they stay away from the dogs. <laughs> yeah. But every now and then there was once where I was in the doggy Pueblo and I got a text from a friend and I pull out my phone and, and our friend just like, hey, just literally drove past your house and there was a mountain lion that crossed the road in front of my car, jumped the guardrail and ran up towards you. Just a heads up. You know? <laughs> like, well, Don't thanks. let the children out. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's a little scary. Okay, what about experiences out on the race trail? You, you were talking about, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, you're going to be a week on the trail you're going to have snot frozen to your like yeah. face and you're going to just be dying for like a week on the trail. And sometimes you go through lakes and you fall through. What are some harrowing experiences? Gosh, you know, some of the I'll tell you one that was a little crazy there. So there's this race uh, that we compete in. So we compete more of in a mid distance race. So we're not in the like I did rod is your long distance. You're out there sleeping on the trail. Um, but, uh, the pedigree stage race is eight days long. You only run 35 miles a day and it's fast though. I mean, these dogs are running like 15 miles an hour. So that's like a four minute mile for over a marathon, which is pretty insane. So think about that speed going through this mountain pass, taking these 180 degree turns and yeah, it, it gets, and you have 10 dogs. So if you think about 10 dogs, from what, if you were to stand and imagine uh, like a 20-foot line in front of you, if not a little bit more, and when they're taking that sharp turn, if you don't go into that turn properly, your sled's going to wrap up on a tree. So you have to lean out right, even run, try to take the turn, and just not get hit by the tree, right? How many tables did you go through to learn that? <laughs> right, when I was a kid. <laughs> a lot, and a lot of sleds, yeah. <laughs> and a few uh, dislocated shoulders. But, yes. Oh, my gosh. D.I. every weekend buying new tables. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. I know, yeah. <laughs> the other one broke. Yeah, I, so this one, um, this particular stage was the second to last day up in Driggs, Idaho. 
and we're climbing about 2200 feet in elevation gain you know and there's but with that going down it's it feels like you're going down ski slopes like ski runs <laughs> so anyway this one particular corner so i always tell everybody the way the 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 dog team is formed from where the lead dogs are um, and they were harnessed and then the ropes connecting the dogs are called gang lines and where those gang lines connect to the sled and when your hands grip the sled you're like working like one body so it's very like intuitive very almost telepathic and so wherever my lead dogs if their ears shift form I can tell that they're thinking something and something's not right I need to be aware of what they're thinking so I see my lead dog um, Yukon his ears pop up and he looks back and I notice that there's a turn a sharp turn and I didn't I wasn't planning for it so not to so in order not to hit this tree, I swing out as wide as I can, but overcorrect, and they turn me, almost whip me onto the ground so hard, and I hit my head onto the snow, and they're dragging me down like this 10% grade, and I'm dragging and dragging, and now the dogs and I have an agreement that if they feel me dragging, they'll stop, you know, but they're having way too much fun going down this mountain, and I had to take my snow hook out, slam it into the ground so we're stopped, but these dogs, you know, are going down, face down this mountain, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, the way my anchor was hooked onto the or anchor down, it pinned the sled to the side. So I knew if I wanted to stand the sled upright, I had to release my anchor. So I did a three count, three, two, one, pop the anchor, hit the sled upright, jump onto the skis with my knees, work my way up, and seriously, 15 feet later, there was another sharp turn and had to take that. Luckily, I was okay. But I mean, that's just one of many, one of, you know, running into wolves in West Yellowstone, you know, when we're out there that... You know, it's just so many different adventures you run into with those guys. How many bears? Well, no they're bears. hibernating. Exactly. You're the first one to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone asks me about bears, but they're like, no, they're hibernating. <laughs> what about buffalo? <laughs> buffalo once. West Yellowstone, there was a good stampede of them. I kind of waited a little bit, kind of let them run their little, um, their little way. They curved out to the left, away from the trail, and went down to this, this lake, and we were able to keep going. But that would have... That would have ended bad. But despite that, can you guys guess what the most dangerous animal is out there? Ma the mountain lions. Well, the mountain lions are pretty badass. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I, pretty tall, big antlers. Elk? Not elk. Just like the, a deer? The moose. A moose? Moose. Is the most dangerous. The most dangerous. I would, ran, I would rather encounter like or run by a pack of wolves, right, than... Than one moose. Like moose will come literally if they feel threatened, they'll come and trample your whole team. Like they're really, really scary. So if we're ever training out in the backcountry here in Utah, for example, there's a lot of moose up in that canyon. There's a ton of moose. I have a I have an employee that runs ahead of me in a snowmobile, just to make noise. So we've never had any issues. Yeah. How I, many has he ran into? <laughs> there's been a couple times where he'll call me on the radio. He's like, friend, let's turn the dog team around now. We got to get back. And like, oh. Gotcha. Okay, let's go. The Moose Patrol. <laughs> yeah, Moose Patrol. Just get him a badge. <laughs> I mean, it could have been like a bunny too. Like, uh, like a, a bunny. Some of those are rabbit, and they like they could have been like a pretty mean animals yeah. also. Rabbits? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just distracted dogs too, right? I mean, I mean, yeah. Like the dogs would have fun, but it, it would just be. I mean, I'm not really sure that that would be very fun for you. Right. A lot of chasing. A lot of chasing. <laughs> yeah. lot of chasing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
So you mentioned like uh, tours and programs and summer camps. Um, t- tell us about those. So our tour, excuse me, so our summer camps, we decided to open something up for the kids so they can come and learn, so a lot of the local kids. And that's my biggest passion is having that. And so now um, our off season is completely overshine our winter. So, yeah, and I love that. So we have a ton of kids that come by. We do seven weeks out of the summer, and they're each about a week week camp, week-long camp. So the kids come out, and they learn everything and anything about dog sledding. And we do a lot of team-building exercises, um, a lot of activities with the dogs. And then uh, recently, about four years ago, we started our winter junior program. So the kids come out and learn how, what it is to learn to drive dog teams. And so that's, that's, a, that's a fun time. So we, we, we have this program that goes from November to the end of January, and then we host a race for them at the end of January. And then we have a fun, like, awards banquet. And it's really fun. It's a, lot, it's a good time. And that's, like, that's like my dream to, to just focus on that. The touring aspect of, of things is, is a lot of fun. My, again, my passion is having our guests come to our ranch and, and learning more of the education um, educational side of things with with the sport so our our tours are very different from a lot of other companies um, throughout this throughout the US or maybe even the world I don't know but so it's an hour and a half hour and 45 minute tour with only a 25 to maybe 30 minute ride and the rides only an exhibition just to show what the dogs can do but the rest of the tour is just a like a presentation a kennel tour and playtime with the dogs and then the ride. So when people come to our ranch, I want them to feel like inspired. I want them to leave feeling like, yeah, the ride was fun, but hearing the story of our Umberto, the blind lead dog, I mean, and that, that's powerful. You know, and this dog came to us and five years we've been working with him, he's completely blind and he's leading teams. You know, it's just, that's the kind of metaphor that we want to share with the world is that despite you know some of the um, challenges we do have, if we really want something and we're passionate about it, there is a way to do it. You know, and it may not be easy, but it can be done. And so whenever I'm having a bad day and I look at Umberto, I'm like, that's awesome. Like I have no room to complain. You know, he's he's really making it happen. And then we have dogs that, you know, people that come by and they just want to. <laughs> they don't even want to do the ride. They just participate in our kennel tour. And it's just basically coming by to play with dogs for a couple of hours, you know, where they sit there. <laughs> and some of our guests will stay all day, you know, just hanging out in the snow with the dogs. I'm, I have two questions. They're kind of unrelated. But one, the oldest and the youngest dog. What's the oldest and the youngest dog you have? Gosh, my oldest dog I have right now would probably be Skunky Monkey. He's about 15 years old. Okay. And he's a German short hair pointer husky mix. And the youngest dog I have right now is probably Blue and Echo. They're two sisters. That was my, uh, or I should say my wife. My wife really wanted to breed two of our dogs together because they're both phenomenal. And we just wanted to see what would happen with their pups. And so the, that was like our planned breeding. And they are uh, six months old right now. Total pups. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they literally ate their house. They, they chewed it. I'm going to have to buy them and make them a new house. Keep them away from the TV. Oh, yeah. They, don't, they do not deserve glee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. They, they, you do have to earn it. Exactly. <laughs> okay, and then I also, we were talking about this a little bit when you before you started, but we were talking about the climate. Mm-hmm. And 
So how has the climate impacted you? And what do you do if there's no snow? That's a great question. And that's something, to be honest, you guys, that's something that we're considering and talking about a lot and like how to move forward with, with what we do. The climate has changed quite a bit. And I, growing up in Park City, you know, normally in November, our temperatures, if, if it didn't snow, at least our temperatures were really cool and it would stay cool throughout the day. But, you know, I've been taking notes since 2015. Steadily, the temperatures are increasing or maintaining warmer temps, you know, this time of year. And after a scary winter like last year, we were only on sleds for seven days out of the entire season. Oh, and, wow. the, and the rest of the season, we are on dry land. So we have uh, these UTV rangers, and uh, we, we hook the dogs to the front of them. And the dogs don't pull any weight. It's just like a fun, elaborate dog walk so our guests can see how they run. But we're running the motor and going throughout the ranch, and, and it's just something to keep them active. But that's all we did last year, mainly, was just running on our wheels. And um, you hear stories of up north. I have this gentleman, I have a friend. Um, he's an amazing man. His name is Tommy Bird. He's a world champion, and he describes even you know navigating through some of the open open tundra, like the way the, the, the snow and the wind um, cre creates like crevices in the snow, they're able to guide their way because they knew which way was south, east, west, north. But now things have changed in that way where it's no longer doing that, it's throwing them off course. But also he, I just wrote him yesterday or a couple days ago and he says, Fernando, you know, they live way up north in Canada and they don't have snow right now. And he says, this is very strange. This is very, very unusual. So it's scaring me a little bit, you know, not because of the, the longevity of the sport, but like for our climate in general, you know, and even in, even our water here in Utah, up in Summit County, I mean, they were trucking water into Echo, you know, the little town of Echo this last summer. It was pretty bad. It, it's crazy. Well, and, you know, hopefully there's some stuff that they can do down the road. I, I mean... If you believe in some science, hopefully they can figure out some solutions. Like, you know, I know that they try to seed some of the snow, um, but whether that impacts high enough like you or not. Yeah, what's crazy, even the, you know, you read about uh, like the Park City Mountain Resort, they were supposed to open on the 18th and they had to push back their opening date. And we'll think, see them at Christmas, maybe. I know. Like <laughs> if, yeah, if that, who knows what will happen. Yeah, I thought we were going to have a, like a, a good, stormy winter because we got those big kind of got those big storms you know in early october yeah you know when i was a kid we always we used to joke around that if we got good snowfall before halloween at least that one good storm that'd kind of be a prelude to an epic season but that's not the case anymore no <laughs> now it's like oh we got the snow but you know what that was it for the season <laughs> you know that, that was it so i don't know i'm still pulling for an epic season I, I'm still pulling for that. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I know knock on wood. Totally knock on wood. Get the ice miser up there, whatever that was from the, that yeah. movie. I uh, also on your site saw uh, pet services, so yeah. like boarding and stuff like that. Tell us about that. We do offer some dog boarding at our ranch, and it's mainly for um, some of the northern breeds. We get a lot of, a lot of our clients have very difficult, high-strung dogs that are kind of kicked out of the other boarding facilities. And, and so they'll call us and say, hey, you know, can my dog come and hang out? So at your ranch while I'm on vacation, 
So Dean and I opened our, our facility up for some boarding. We only take about 10, maybe 15 dogs in at, you know, if, if we're able to. And a lot of these guys, you know, or clients are asking us, can you, is there any way you can teach our dogs to run and pull? So, you know, when we started with that, we started a sled dog school. So we have a lot of friends and clients and locals that come up and bring their dogs. And, and again, it's just teaching the dogs to channel their energy into doing something productive. What's the most unique dog breed that you've had doing that? The Greyhound Husky mixes. Okay. My gosh. Yeah, they are insane. I mean, you think, How fast are they going? So we ran an eight-miler at a race last year. They were averaging about 20 miles an hour, eight miles. And this is like at 9,000 feet elevation. Isn't that oh, insane? Wow. Yeah. Like, it was, they're fast. We used to have a pug Boston Terrier. How <laughs> yeah. would that do, pulling your... I think they yeah, make, might be a lead dog, you know? <laughs> it'll, it'll be riding the lead dog. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting there. Yeah. We have a mini schnauzer. I, it'd be fun to see a whole team of mini schnauzers. Probably couldn't pull anybody of size. But oh, they could you. pull me. <laughs> enough, yeah. enough of them. Yeah. <laughs> 20 That's schnauzers a... pulling yeah. Steve. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That would be. <laughs> but what advice do you have for people that are... Um, yeah, I have a sister that will kind of host dogs for, like you were saying, when people go out of town. But what what advice do you have for people raising dogs um, or trying to train them? What what techniques have worked well for you? Techniques, uh, number one is be patient and kind, always. You always want to have that uh, that very tranquil mindset you want to be. And if, you know, and if it's not working out, training session maybe isn't as good as you'd hope that day, just hang up the, the I say, hang up the harness try the next day. There's no point in trying to really um, get the lesson done the way you want it to because, let's face it, life doesn't work out the way we want it to. Training the same thing with training the dogs. It's not going to go according to an A, B, C, D plan. And you kind of have to learn how to roll with the punches. And But I, I can't stress this enough. Like You have to be very loving, very patient, and very kind. You know, and, and, and a lot of it with our rescue dogs that we get, some of them, unfortunately, had to come from a little bit of abusive background. So getting them to trust us is a huge challenge. And, but when they get there, because we have a very um, uh, hands-off form of training. So unless we're loving on them, that's the only time that I'll allow people to touch them and love on them. But even if we're correcting them, there's no hands-on, right? Because even with my lead dogs, if, if I'm telling them to go G, which is right, and they're going the other way, sometimes that's my training run where I just go up, I'll ask them to come over to the right, they'll follow my hand gesture, and they'll stand. You know, and, and, and that takes maybe an hour, and, that's, and then once that hour's over, we just go back to the truck. Yeah, I didn't get the training run that day, but we made a connection, and that's what counts. And so you have to be willing to, to be patient and then revisit it the next day if you get in a bind. How are dogs at telling good people, characters of people? <laughs> I, I think they're pretty good judge of character, to be honest. The dogs, they have such a good intuitive uh, perspective on life and, and on people, and um, I, I, I trust them. You know, it's funny, I, when your dogs, because we have a couple dogs that stay inside the house, and if they're looking into a dark corner and barking at something, you wonder, like, huh, well, you know, what's over there? So every time I hear the dog... So they're right, talking with ghosts. <laughs> probably, you know. Or, or Bigfoot's or outside. Bigfoot's out there. 
It all makes a lot of sense. (laughs) (laughs) So always go with the dogs, you know. If you're in question, just go with what they're thinking. You'll think good hands. I don't... Katie's over there, and, I, and we we had a dog, and she passed away a few years ago. But I'm, I had the chance to take care of her. She was older, um, but the pug, pug Boston Terrier, and her name was Bella. And um, she was kind of stubborn, uh-huh. and she would snort, and she would fart, and she would, like, make the most weird noises. <laughs> but I remember that one of the last times I was with her, um, I would sleep out on the couch, and she would just lay on the floor. She was too old to kind of jump up anymore. And I remember her waking me up early in the morning and I'm wanting to go on the dog walk or just to go walk. I was like, damn it. Like I didn't want to get up. And, um, it was funny because she did her little business and then just made me sit and she wanted to see the sunrise. And so like, so like that's what she woke me up to see was the sunrise. And I still remember that like, that was one of the last times I saw her, but in my mind I was kind of like, okay, I was really pissed at her. But literally, she made me watch that. And it was kind of cool because, like, she would, was watching it as well as making sure I was watching it. Yeah. But I kind of wondered, like, how perceptive dogs were to those kind of things. And um, I don't know. I think she knew what she was doing. But. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I think we dogs are more intuitive and more um, intelligent than we give them credit for. You know, so not like everybody, but as a general uh, society, they're, they're more intelligent, more intuitive, more connected with everything that we give them credit for, I think. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Well, I, I love that memory, just knowing that, you know, I didn't see her much after that. And, um, but just knowing that, like, she totally, it was like a really gorgeous sunset or sunrise, but it was just really cool. That's and it, cool. it just seemed totally planned by her because, like, yeah, there's yeah. no other way I would have gotten my ass out of bed. <laughs> yeah. <but>. Tired, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a great story. But you probably have similar stories like that. I do, you know, there's some, you know, there are times where one of the nights I remember is when we were training out, it was around midnight, 1 a.m. midnight, because I had such a busy day, the the race team, I needed to train the race team still, and whether it's during the day, the morning, or the middle of the night, I need to get out, and they need to get their miles, or they go crazy, and I remember I was going up the Mirror Lake Byway, have you guys been up there, how beautiful, up going toward Bald Mountain? Yeah. We come out of the tree line and it's just, the stars are so vibrant. And I swear, it was, it was in January, I can't remember, like a couple of years ago, and we seemed to hit, not hit, but I, I looked up and there was like a, a shower, of, almost like a meteor shower. Nothing crazy, but, you know, I just literally felt like it was just artwork at its best, you know, something so much bigger than me and that I could ever be. And, but yet I was so blessed to be able to witness that with my dogs. It's it's hard to put into words and describe it, but it's just such a poetic um, art form that I just I'm so, I'm just so in awe of. Sometimes you know the moments like what you described, watching a sunset. That was probably my closest to that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's cool. Well, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else, Steve? No, I mean I could talk forever, but I have nothing in particular. If, <laughs> is that what you're asking? Uh, how can people um, find you? So, like, yeah. if they wanted to volunteer or even if they wanted to schedule, like, to come visit. Yeah, so we have a website, lunalobos.com. Uh, we have an Instagram page and Facebook, also under Rancho Luna Lobos. And we keep it pretty active um, with what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. So if you, want, if you can't make it out to the ranch um, but want to kind of see what we're doing, that's a good way to, 
to chime in. Are you always looking for volunteers? There's always poop to clean. Yeah. Okay. And always there's dogs to feed. So, yeah. To quote Jeff Goldblum, that's a big pile of shit. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> Probably make some good fertilizer out of that. We've got to make do with some of that stuff. Yeah, I need to research that. <laughs> uh, I love that promotional video you have on the website where it shows the aerial views of you running and just kind of describing everything. Yeah. Uh, very well done on that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was uh, done by a gentleman um, with Angelos Media. He's a local guy here, and he's done a, a lot of those. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed the Moondogs documentary that he did on us. He, it was His cinematography is really impressive, and um, he was really good at capturing the voices of the dogs and, and listening to us as, as we're trying to get our mission out there and, and more well-known, especially with the touring industry and trying to change the format of that a little bit and shine a brighter, brighter light on it in, in the sense of um, working together. So, like, kind of off subject, but there's three seasonal touring companies in Park City, and we've all kind of... So we, Dana and I have this nonprofit called Sledding for Hope, and it's more of the education, promoting education of sled dogs. So under this nonprofit, we were able to just kind of sit down with each individual touring company, and we're going to, we, we've pretty much created a plan to work together and, and promote the wellness of the dogs even more than what we're required to, beyond the standards of what's required by animal control. And um, we've organized a system with uh, world-class veterinarians that will be showing up to each one of our kennels and assessing every single dog. Well, not every single one of them, but a lot of them. And we'll have, like, unofficial, quote, quote, officials that come in that are well-versed in the sled dog world and help give us pointers and help each other grow as an industry. So that's something that we're working on right now. And, and Colby, the gentleman who filmed that, he's, he's wanting to do a little piece on that as well. So I'm excited to see what, what he'll come up with that yeah one of the closing things i want to hear a shout out to as many dogs as you can name okay yeah we'll go from the top <laughs> do you need it right, let's do get a timer okay, try it? Gonna, yeah. okay. i'm gonna give you we'll I'll give you yeah. 60 seconds okay <laughs> so, hang on we'll, we'll get this going okay and in the video version i'll try to put the names up okay as yeah. you do them and we're starting perfect so zoe hank teller kira Zion Midnight, Prince, Sean, Takatna, um, Tsunami. Then we have Lou, Bianca, Dime, Cyclone, Steven, Denali, Cheppy, Lady, uh, Anna, Phantom, Togo, Kroner, Unser, Oprah, Fire Saga, Harley Quinn, Bruce Wayne, Tornado. <laughs> You're at 32 seconds. Uh, Uva, Fister, Jax, Lobito, Coda, Dina, or, um, Dooley. And then we have uh, Balto. 15 <laughs> seconds left. Balto, Nutella, Reva, uh, Borg, Torch. Uh, we have Umberto, Patty Boy. Nine, <laughs> we have Rolo, Durango, Midnight, Four, or excuse me, Hurricane. Two. Uh, Tafiti and Burn! Arctic. <laughs> I, okay, but the, I mean, the reality is you made up half of those fucking names. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, so, yeah, like there's no way. That you, you put a Steven in there. You I did throw like, Steven. Steven. <laughs> and I actually assume that Steven is the best dog. He is, yeah. 
He is. Actually, again, <laughs> he might be the lazy ass dog that's riding in the sled yeah. with you with the heated like thermos of hot chocolate or whatever just back there. That's what Steven's doing. This is Steven, yeah. He's a handful. He's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the name fits. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dylan, ask your question. Bonus you, questions. Yeah, I like them. Uh, the show's called Your Creativity. So, what does creativity mean to you? I think creativity would be finding uh, something that's being true to yourself and creating that in either a way of, you know, an art form or a way to help others and always uh, kind of make it come around full circle. You know, if, if someone helps you in that sense, try to make it come full, cir- first, full circle with that. Yeah. But being a creative, putting your creative spin on it of who you are and what you are. And with the training and stuff like that, you probably have to get creative to kind of figure each other out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's always, I mean, I don't think there are a whole lot of mushers that are out there that are swimming their dogs on an like, actual program. But I know if I want to stay competitive with my friends up north, you know, hot Utah summer, cooler northern winter, I have to swim my dogs down here to keep them active. <laughs> That's awesome. And the next one is, who is your favorite Muppet and why? My favorite Muppet? Yeah. Ooh. I don't know. My mom always called me the Cookie Monster growing up. He's probably, and I still love cookies, you know. That is a Muppet, right? No, that's yeah. Sesame Street. No. no it's a, it'll it, count. Yeah, it'll count. count. Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if I'm going with that. Muppet, I'd say Big Bird, you know, tall. He was awkward. I always felt like maybe I was awkward growing up. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I could relate to him. <laughs> and then lastly, in the movie of your life, who would play you? The movie of my life, who would yeah. play me? Oh, my God. Those, I don't know. Probably like Napoleon Dynamite. John Heater, you know? John Heater <laughs> would play know. you. Yeah. He did have some good hair going. He did. I wish I had hair, you know? But, uh, yeah, maybe this because I'm envious. I'd like him to play me. <laughs> well, I'll put it out there because I actually just met him on Saturday. Did you really? Yeah. No way. Did yeah. you really? Yeah. That's so funny. I, so Tell once, him we'll line it up. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> At Sundance one year, I was at a grocery store, and I, I saw him, and he looked at me. And I looked back at him, you know, and he just kind of nodded like, yeah. You know, like, I was like, okay. You guys had a moment. Yeah, you are, you are. Deployed. Did you ask him for a tater tot? No, no, no I was too, I, was, I, I like ran him off, you know. I was too, too, too shy <laughs> to do that. Yeah. It's nerve-wracking up there during Sundance where it's just so much going on. And you see him, and you're just like, you're yeah. kind of speechless. Yeah, you don't know what to say, you know, and I don't want to make him mad. And I've had a few really interesting uh, in- encounters with celebrities coming out for dog sled rides. But yeah, that, those were Who was the biggest asshole? Oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> he wants them to I haven't back, been Steve. there yet. So <laughs> I mean, the award is still mine if I'm for the taken. <laughs> oh, my uh, gosh. I'll plead the fifth on that one. Yeah, I don't that's cool and then how much um are the tours if somebody wants to come up yeah um for an actual sled ride um that that we call it the dog sled experience i think i think it's 350 for the two hours and um kennel tour so we have it right at about 40 bucks a person for a kennel tour and and then the like the kids camps in the in the winter camps are somewhere between like to 200 $250 for, for the week for the kids. Yeah. Dylan, I challenge you to go this summer in a peanut butter suit 
and and <laughs> just walk through the kennels and see how how long you last. Like covered in peanut butter or dressed yeah. up as a jar? Of peanut oh no, <laughs> covered in peanut butter. We need the smell. Yeah. My wife doesn't have like. I'll like I'll fork butter, out so for peanut I butter. I don't have that. If suit, if you so. want peanut butter, I will get you peanut butter and even a suit if it, you need it. Industrial peanut butter. Industrial. I'll get you whatever it needs. <laughs> I I think it could be a fun video. It could be. That yeah. would be awesome. I don't think Rolla would let you go. He'd keep you there. Yeah. <laughs> get a lot of bear hugs. Yeah, yeah. Die happy. I, dog I love hugs. dog hugs. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't let you leave, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for coming. Yes, thank yeah. you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Roof, roof. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is done, man. Ah, ah, ah.